Good morning. Great to see you. Such a bouncy bumper video. We're going to be talking about anger. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that one. But hey, it's great to see you. My name is Pastor Sean. Uh, I want you guys to know, I know you don't see me a lot because I'm down on the Yorktown campus. Myself, the elders of Coastal, man, we are so excited about what's happening here in Gloucester with Coastal Community Church, and, and we're praying for you guys. We're actually praying about a permanent uh, setting for us, so be praying about that, you know, a permanent location. This is a rental space, and I feel like you guys have already outgrown it, and uh, so just be in prayer, right? So exciting things, and we're really excited about the future of Coastal here, and uh, it's great to uh, worship with you this morning. God's given us emotions, hasn't he? Uh, there's times in worship, like, you know, you celebrate, you watch a sport sports team. Woo, you know, and there's times we're grieved in our spirit. There's times that tears flow. And so uh, so we have a full range of emotions uh, in, our, in our human experience, right? And so we want to talk about, man, how do we make our emotions Christ-centered? How do we submit even our emotions um, to the Lord? And so, you know, we can, uh, we can have emotions that get outside the umbrella of worship to the Lord. And so we have to talk about, man, how does God knitted us up with emotions and, and how do we submit them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked about anxiety and depression. And by the way, we're going to be at the, the Yorktown campus. And uh, Nate, are you in here or did you go to the back and get a drink? Anyway, I, I don't know if we're, we're doing a panel discussion, I think just at Yorktown. Is that right, Janelle? Um, on the last week of this series, which I think is like the 17th-ish. Maybe it's the 18th. I could be off by a day. But we're going to do a panel discussion on anxiety and depression. So if you guys want to write in some questions on that, on the terror off when we collect those. We would love to see those and make those part of our panel discussion. This morning, I want to talk about anger, right? And so if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 26 and, um, and following. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in a chair near you. I don't see those, so maybe not. Uh, so are there? Yes, great. So uh, so yeah, if you, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you will commit to reading it on a regular basis. I uh, Some of you all, if you've been with Coastal a long time, I used this illustration probably about six or eight years ago, and I decided this was a great week to talk about it. Uh, I want to talk about a time I got really angry. Uh, my, I, um, I, uh, the house that I live in, we have a fence, and we have a fenced yard, and the fence is about 30 years old, and so I've lived in the house for about 12 years now, and I have a dog, and so, and I have children at the time, especially six, eight years ago, where this story comes from, I had young children, and I just didn't want them hitting balls and kicking balls in the neighbor's yard kind of thing, so we've, I've kind of propped this fence up through the years. The last thing I want to do is spend money on a fence, you know, and so I've done all kinds of crazy things to prop this up, and so one day I Go over, I go outside, and my fence, one of the main fence posts is falling over because it's rotted off the core off of the concrete that had been stuck in. And I was like, uh, I, you know, I've looked at it. I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, I don't feel like spending a ton of money on this. And so I got this really great idea, which by the way has worked. And this was again, eight years ago, it's still working. So I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to get two pieces of rebar and I'm going to drive it in alongside the fence post. And I'm just going to wire tie it and keep that fence going. Right. So that was my plan. Right. I know it's a terrible idea for those of you who are super handy but it's still working. Okay, so uh, so I get this rebar out, and it's a it was a cold spring wet day, and I go out, and I get the rebar out, and I take my sledgehammer, and I start driving this thing into the ground, and as I get it into the ground, I realize, oh man, it's too far away from the post for me to really do a good job of, of um, 
you know, wire tying it. And so I was like, I got to get this thing out of the ground and restart. And so I get this rebar on it's a wet day and I start working it back and forth. Y'all kind of know what I'm doing, trying to get it loose, right? And I, and I am pulling on this rebar stuck in the mud, if you can imagine, and I cannot get this rebar out. And so this goes on for 10 minutes and I'm sweating now and starting to say things over rebar that a preacher shouldn't say, you know, right? Some of y'all have done this. You're lying. It's church. You can't lie in church, right? And so maybe not this exact thing, right? So I'm going on in 10 minutes. And then finally, 10 minutes, I go get my work gloves, another 15, 20 minutes. I'm working this rebar. And every time I work, and now I'm bending it almost all the way over to the ground, and I'm pulling on it, and it will not come. And so 30 minutes into this, man, I'm a sweating, frustrated, angry mess. And I'm like, I have had enough. Okay, so I literally, the rebar is about this far, and I'm going to take my gloves, and I literally go like this, and I am going to pull this rebar with all my strength. God, in his humor, though, what I didn't know had completely loosened the rebar, that it was completely loose at this point, but I didn't know that. And I pull this rebar, and it comes out like a bolt of lightning and hits me square in the bridge of my nose. It knocked me out, actually. And uh, when I wake up, I've got blood streaming down my face, and uh, and I go into the garage. and I, And Dave, I actually I went to Med Express. You weren't there that day, thankfully. I took uh, eight or ten stitches in my nose, and uh, and thankfully, uh, I thankfully didn't hit me in the eye. I probably would, you know, how your mom said you're going to put your eye out. I probably would have put my eye out, and so I. And so that weekend, I had the privilege of preaching with two black eyes and blood in my eye sockets kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, you often hear this, and I think we know this to be true, but if we stuff anger, and people tell you this all the time, if you stuff anger, at the end of the day, anger only ends up hurting who? Right? And so that was me. And I just think it's a great illustration. It's like taking rebar and shoving it in the middle of your head. All right? And, and, and that's what I did because I was angry. And, um, and so I want to encourage us this morning. The Bible actually has a fair amount to say about anger. And it's an emotion that we have. And the Bible even actually hints that it's, there's, there's a side of anger that is not sinful. And so, you know, we have to talk about, man, how, what do we do with anger when it begins to well up inside of us, and, and how do we handle that, okay? And so Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaks to this, and... Um, and so uh, one of the things I want you to know about the letters that Paul writes uh, to the churches, which is the big, large portion of your New Testament, is he usually starts his letter with a gospel preaching. We have to understand the gospel and how, what God has done for us in Christ. And then the back end of, the, of his letters are kind of the so what. This is the practical application. This is how the gospel touches all the practical pieces of our lives, whether it be parenting or marriage or how we function in our churches. And in this particular area, he's talking about anger. And so we have to be really careful when we take the back end of a letter that it doesn't, you don't leave here and think, man, that was real. Pastor Sean preached on morality. You know, what Pastor Sean's preaching on today is how the gospel touches the emotion of anger, because that really is how Paul is structuring this letter. So here we go. Ephesians 4, let's just, I'll read it. Well, you know, you guys can follow along with me, and I'm going to make a couple points this morning. First of all, the apostle Paul says, be angry and do not sin. 
And do not let the sun go down on your anger and, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, now Paul kind of comes back to this idea of anger and the tongue. And he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. And be kind to one another, <clears throat> tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven or God in Christ forgave you, okay? So the first thing I want to point out this morning is the Apostle Paul talks about uh, righteous or sinful anger, right? Apparently, according to this text, right, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. So apparently this is possible. Is it possible to have a, an anger that is righteous? And, and so I think we can look to the life of Christ for this, actually, right? We, we actually do see times that, that Jesus seems to get angry uh, with a righteous or a holy anger. I want to I give you one occasion. I know a lot of your minds probably go to the temple cleansing, but that's not what I wanted to look at. There's actually a scene in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter three, where the Jews are, are pressing in on Jesus because he keeps doing good works on the Sabbath, right? And so they don't think he should be working on the Sabbath. And there's this particular scene where Jesus shows up in the synagogue and there's a man with a deformed hand and the Jews come around and they want to accuse Jesus of doing works on the Sabbath, which they think is a violation of the law and of God's holy character. And Jesus asks them a question, is it, should we do good or should we do evil on the Sabbath? And they just kind of sit silently because they don't give him an answer. And check this out in, in Mark chapter three, where Jesus is about to heal this man. And it says in Jesus, and he looked at, around at them with, what's it say? Man, he was frustrated. And what's he frustrated with? Well, the text tells us he's grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and, and his hand was restored. And so Jesus heals this man. I want to suggest to you this morning that anger without sin is going to be closely connected to the character and the glory of God, a, a sense of justice or injustice that frustrates you. I remember um, when I was in Thailand where we met Maui, there was one particular day we went to this to this dump way outside the city where the city brought all their trash. And, and outside of this dump was essentially a village that had been built on the perimeter of the dump where these families uh, made their living, if you will, by as each trash truck would come in, they would swarm onto the trash and and find food and find things that would help them with their shelter and and find things that they would potentially sell. If you can just imagine these families just digging through this dump for their existence, and while we were there, we found out that many of these these families would actually sell their daughters into trafficking human trafficking, sex trafficking, because they assumed that that was a better way to live than, than to survive on this trash dump. And I remember leaving there angry. Like, this isn't, 
there's so much about this picture that's wrong, right? I mean, from, from extreme poverty that ha- really, we sh- really should be able to eradicate this from the planet, you know, to, to, uh, to young, young girls being sold in this horrible thing of trafficking. And, and I left there angry. And I, th- I think there's a place for, man, when our hearts are stirred with an injustice or a sin or the, the fame and the glory of God being robbed, that we go, man, that is not right. And, and I think we see that, right? And, and, and so I think there is a sense of, in, of anger that wells up inside of us that can be healthy and good. But I would suggest to you that as sinful people, we, we have to be very, very careful, right? That, uh, that we check our anger. And, and I would suggest to you, if you're angry about something that, and you're not sure if it's righteous anger or sinful anger, that I would suggest to you it might be wise to sit down with a mature brother or sister in Christ or go to your pastors. I mean, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. Help me understand this that's going on inside of me. Because my suspicion is that while there are pieces of our lives where our anger wells up and it's, it's holy and it's righteous and it's just most of our anger is probably sinful anger. That, that's my suggestion to me, to us, right? And, and sinful anger makes it about us. Sinful anger stems from a sinful conviction that perceives that you deserve something. It's, it, it, sinful anger usually wells up from uh, how we're thinking that w- there's a certain thing or a justice or something that we deserve, and it's not happening, right? And when it's not happening, we get angry, right? I mean, if you've been married for more than a week, this has probably happened to you, right? Like, I've done this. I have this perception that I have to be somewhere on time, and if my wife's making me late, you know, come on, let's go, right? Nobody's ever done that, right? And we we end up in the car going to church angry, right? And by the time we get there, we're fuming at each other. What's going on there? It's this perception that if we're late, you know, my world's coming unraveled, and, and suddenly my spouse, who's made in the image of God, instead of being a blessing to me and teaching me sanctification, and maybe I could even ask on Sunday morning how I could help, right, to get out the door, you know, like instead of building unity in our marriage, I just grow frustrated, and because things didn't work out quite the way I thought they should, I grow angry, right? And so, I think that most of our anger is the inability to trust in the character promises and ultimately the gospel of Christ. James 4 says it this way to the church. He says, what causes quarrels and fight, uh, what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions that are at war within you, you desire to do and not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. I think much of our anger is kind of these unbiblical expectations, kind of this idea that we deserve certain things or there are certain injustices against us that, we, that deserve justice. Now, let me pause here for a minute and say this too. Maybe you're here this morning and there really was a sinful injustice against you or, or maybe even a criminal injustice against you. And, and plenty of times as a pastor that... Um, uh, you know, I'll sit down with someone in a counseling appointment and they have been sinned against. They have been victimized. They, they have had a sinful and in fact criminal injustice against them. And, and as a pastor, if they're an adult, I say, you need to 
go to the police. You need to go to the governing authorities above us that if, set, if, it's, a, if it's a minor, I have to report it, right? And, and step out and report that. And so, and so if that's you this morning, let me encourage you, like, go to the police. Do the right steps to seek out justice in a, in, in a structured and in, in the way the government has set that up for us. But I want to encourage us with this. There are times that we get sinned against, and even if there's a crime against us, there's plenty of times in our culture where even the justice system doesn't mete out justice. Isn't that right? And so if that happens, then what do we do? Right? Like we, we can still be have an injustice or even a crime against us, and, and there's not justice here on earth. And, and we can let that anger boil up inside of us and like rebar in the head. Like anger spills out on everybody else ultimately, right? And so if we don't figure out a way to get that anger out of us, man, it will dominate your life. And there may be a couple of you sitting here this morning, that's exactly what's happening. And there's a, just a strewn of broken relationships around your life because, man, anger has just controlled you. Now, so let me, you know, we sang that song, Lord, of all, right? And, and I love that song. And I think it's a weird song. I don't know if you're listening to what you're singing, like, right? Your enemies rise, your enemies fall. What's the next line? Your fire consumes them all. Like, what are we singing about, right? Like, it just sounds like, whoa, it's terrifying. There is a sense in which God is terrifying. And his enemies will be consumed. And justice will be meted out completely, even if not here on earth. Psalm 37, 5 says this, when it comes to the justice of the Lord, it says, commit your ways to the Lord, trust him, and he will do what, church? He will act, right? God will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And listen, this means we can let go of things. We can trust the Lord because he says, be still before the Lord and do what? Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out his evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. So even when there's an injustice against us, we are to refrain from anger, we're to forsake wrath and not fret ourselves. Why? Because the more we stew on the injustice against us, the more it tends, I think the psalmist is saying, tends only towards evil, verse 8, in verse 9, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. In other words, they're going to inherit eternal life, verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place, he will not be here. What is, what is the psalmist saying? Ultimately, God is going to take care of justice 100%. Either a person who has sinned against us Either they will repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and God will pour out his anger and wrath for that sin on the, his son, Jesus Christ, or they will bear wrath, the wrath of God for all eternity upon themselves. This is why the gospel is so important. And so we are free, even when we're sinned against, to say, hey, you know what? The Lord is going to take care of justice. He's going to mete it out so I don't have to live my life with this underlying stewing of anger. And, and that's why the psalmist says, if you do that, it tends towards evil and it tends towards destruction and even self-destruction. So the question is, how do we tell the difference between righteous anger and, and, and sinful anger? I think we can tell by the fruit of the anger, Right? If your life is leaving a trail of destruction and a trail of broken relationships, there's a good chance you're dealing with sinful anger or anger is consuming you. One of the things I always say 
of the things we say at Coastal is in the organization to the people, like you're always allowed, you can't gripe laterally, that's called gossip, but you can gripe up. You can gripe to your boss, and ultimately you can gripe to the Lord, right? First Peter, cast all your cares upon him. Why? What's he say? He cares for you. Did you know that verse is in the context of submitting to your elders? No one ever thinks about that. Submit to the leaders of your church. If you think they're screwing it up, then cast all your cares on God, because guess what? He cares for you, right? So we, can, we get to gripe up. How do we tell if, we have, if we're filled with righteous anger or sinful anger? I think it's, it's by the fruit we bear. Luke 6 says this. Jesus said this. He said, for no good tree bears bad fruit, right? I remember years ago, my wife and I bought on clearance a tree from Walmart, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but that's what we did. We, we had a need for a tree in the backyard. We were very poor at the time, and this tree was on clearance, and we stuck it in the ground. And the very next year, that tree produced a peach. It was crazy, one peach. And it was crazy. We gathered around the sink. We cut it up. You're like, this is awesome. <laughs> and guess what we knew about the kind of tree we purchased? We had a peach tree, right? A good peach tree. How do we know that? Because it produced a peach, right? I mean, I know it's not rocket science, but Jesus says the same thing about our lives, right? A good tree bears what? Good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 44, for each tree is known by its fruit. For the figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen, the Bible says we know what a person is by the fruit they're producing. A good heart is a heart that's been captured by the gospel, that understands, man, I've been forgiven, and the Holy Spirit is changing my anger. But if you're leaving a strewn of broken relationships, and everywhere you're going, there's anger, anger, anger. No one wants to be around you because everybody else is taking the wounds of the anger, which in the end only hurts yourself because no one wants to be around you. And you keep rebarring the middle of your head, okay, because you're angry. Guess what? Your roots are not healthy. That's That's what's not healthy. Your heart is not healthy. You need a new heart given to you by the gospel of Christ. Proverbs 15 says, a hot tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So I suspect most of us uh, in our lives, and I know I do, can struggle with sinful anger. And so the Apostle Paul gives us some useful advice. Number two, resolving anger-related conflicts. So Paul, Pastor, the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 26, uh, be, be angry and do not sin. And then he says this, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, Okay. Uh, how many of y'all, this could be really good marital advice. How many of y'all have taken this into your marriage, right? And you say, man, you know, we get in a fight and the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on our anger. So we've got to work this out before evening. How many of y'all have kind of heard it taught that way? Anybody? Yeah. And so, and I, there is some truth in that, okay? Uh, but um, I have been with couples that um, they get in a fight and probably what they needed was a little space. And what they ended up doing is chasing each other around the house till three in the morning and go, we got to solve this tonight, right? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever done that? Like, and you're kind of like looking at your spouse like, 
like leave me alone okay like i i need 10 minutes away from you you know and and the person's going like no the bible says you know and so and so actually what the apostle paul is probably doing here is he's probably quoting psalm 44 okay and so uh you can look that up on your own but psalm 44 starts out with be angry and do not sin and then the back end of the verse says this i'll give you the sean brown version the back end of the verse says shut up and calm down okay that's what it says so uh but here's the actual verse it says so it says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own heart on your beds and be silent. And so what he's saying, and so I think what he's saying, Paul's saying is really good advice when we're angry, practical advice. I think the principle is when we're angry, we should speak cautiously, take a break if we need to, and make amends as soon as possible. Does that make sense? And so, man, if you're not ready to speak, breathe in, shut up, get on your bed, search your heart, figure out what's going on that's making you so angry, and then work to make amends as quickly as possible. But it doesn't have to be at three in the morning where you're chasing your spouse around. You all just need some sleep, okay? Um, and I think that's what Paul's saying, okay? So, uh, and because, and the reason we want to so- resolve anger as quickly as possible is it does lead to the opportunity for temptation. That's letter B. It leads to the opportunity for temptation. Verse 27 of Ephesians, Paul says, and give no opportunity to the devil, okay? Now, the devil does not make us sin. I get tired of hearing people say that, man, the devil did this, the devil did this. Like, the devil gets way too much authority for our sin nature, all right, but it does. But the devil can tempt us, and so when we're angry, it does expose us to temptation. And so the devil just leads us where our sin already wants us to go. Okay, and, and so the longer we let anger be unresolved, I think the more we have we're open to temptation. And so we do need to look, when possible, to resolve anger. And so our goal as Christians, this is another passage, I want to skip over to Romans chapter 12. Our goal as Christians is to live at peace with each other. Now, I want to read Romans 12 for a minute, and I want to read it in a way that's going to step on your toes, okay? Um, and so we, we live in a culture that if we've been victimized, that the the culture is telling us, man, you're a victim. Live as a victim. Don't forgive. Like, go after it. Get after everything. And so with that in mind, I want want you to read Romans 12 with the understanding that ultimately God takes care of all injustices, right? Nobody gets away with it for eternity, all right? Even if it appears, this is Psalm 37, if it appears that they're getting away with it here on earth, they're not getting away with it, all right? The Lord is the God of justice. Now, with that in mind, here's what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never what? What's it say there, church? Never avenge yourselves. How often are we to avenge ourselves? And that really flies in the face of the culture, doesn't it? Why don't we avenge ourselves? Because God's going to take care of it. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, what's it written? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, do what? If he's thirsty, do what? Give him a drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. 
church, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, that flies in the opposite direction of what we're being told, man, if we're the victim of something. And as believers, man, we are to live at peace with one another, and we are to live at peace as much as it depends on us, even with our enemies. And so think about that time that person violated you. There was an injustice. You could say, you know what, God, you're, you're going to take care of justice. And my job is to go out of my way and be kind, to give a meal, bring a drink. And this applies, man, this applies to maybe there's a distant relationship in your life that's been hurt. You've been hurt. It applies to that. Maybe it applies to your marriage. Maybe it applies to a coworker. Maybe it applies, this applies to your boss or to your parent or to your neighbor. And so I would encourage you, if you're here this morning, you're a believer, I would ask you the question, who do you make, need to make peace with this week? Because Paul says as Christians, man, our job is to live at peace as much as it depends on us with everyone. Number three, I want you to see this. The Apostle Paul teaches when it comes to anger, there's a close connection between anger and the tongue. We know that to be true, right? All right, there's a close connection. Verse 29, Paul says, let no corrupting talk, in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, <clears throat> but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear Paul says, no, no corrupting speech. The word corrupting is actually the word used on rotten fruit. It's the same word, right? Have you ever bought a bag of apples, right? And you go and you get it and they look great and you bring it home and then you dive into the bag and one of the apples as you turn it over has a big spot of rot on it. Have you ever seen that, right? What happens to everything it's touching, how does that happen, right? I don't know, but Paul's actually using the same word. So he's saying, man, our speech will corrupt others, right? And, and, and we know this to be true. Listen, if you're hanging out with people using profanity, what's going to happen? You're going to start using profanity, right? I've had people come to me, Pastor Sean, I just need you to pray for me. I'm really struggling with my, with my, uh, with my language. I'm cursing a lot. I need, need you to pray for me. That's weird. I've never heard you curse. Yeah, I'm not going to do it around you. Just pretend I'm with you all day, okay? So, like, you hang out with people with profanity. You hang around people that have a harsh tone. You're going to have a harsh tone. You hang around people that, that tell jokes laced with sexual innuendo. You're going to begin to talk that way. You hang around with people that gossip. Guess what you're going to begin to do? You're going to begin to gossip, right? You hang around people with general nastiness and griping and complaining. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to begin to gripe and complain. In fact, Paul says as Christians, he says we can have a healing speech. We, we can edify one another. We can build one another up. We can bring grace. He literally says you can bring grace. You, by your speech, can bring the grace of God to others. I mean, can you imagine how this would change your home? Can you imagine if, and you do what I just said a few minutes ago, uh, when it comes to your spouse, instead of just picking and picking and picking on their weakness, you take their weakness and you gripe up. And you just start to pray for your spouse. Man, you know, my wife, my husband, he's getting on my nerves, Lord, I don't know. But at home, you walk around the house and you encourage your spouse. Find something to go, man, I appreciate this. Man, I, you're, you're knocking it out of the park here. And thank you so much for that. And I, You do this well. And your speech is encouraging. You gripe up all you want. And watch God take care of the change. Your home might be a place that people want to live in. Right? 
Your teenagers might even like to live there. And, and all because our speech is a healing and an edifying speech, our speech reveals what's going on inside of our hearts. No question about it. And Apostle Paul says that. And then finally, Paul says this final observation I want to make this morning. As Christians, we walk in the Spirit of God as Christians, we walk in the Spirit of God. And so I want to walk you through these final three verses where the Apostle Paul talks about anger and how the Holy Spirit changes us. Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This word sealed is, first of all, you're sealed for redemption. I mean, it's a, it's a kingly seal. The, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you is the seal. In other words, the scriptures tell us that when we become a Christian, we're delivered from sin. You're, you're redeemed, you're being redeemed, and your redemption is sure. That's justification, sanctification, glorification. You're declared redeemed, you're in the process of being redeemed, and your glorification is so assured that Apostle Paul says you are redeemed. It's, it's all three of this in this, in this process. And, and what we love to do with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, because we're not yet glorified, we're not yet perfect, we, we sometimes love to go back to our old life. Remember the nation of Israel when, when they were redeemed from Egypt under the hand of Moses, all the plagues, all the miracles, they get out into the, into the wilderness as they're heading to the promised land. And what happens, right? They start to long to go back. Oh man, remember the good old days? We had meat and leeks and you know, cucumbers. I mean, we were in slavery, but we had you know, cucumbers. And so, you know, kind of thing. And, 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 and they begin to long go back. And we do the same thing. And some of us are wrestling with anger. And instead of doing the hard work of overcoming anger and being honest in a small group or with a brother or sister Christ, I need you to hold me accountable. I need to grow in this area. We just keep going back to the old life. The other day, I was re- uh, yesterday, I was reading in Joshua chapter 17, right? And so to kind of give you the context, right? Moses led the people across the wilderness. They didn't get to inherit the promised land under, under Moses. And so God handed the leadership over to Joshua. When Joshua takes them into the promised land, and now they're, they're to run out the Canaanites, right? And they're each getting their section of land that was promised to the children of Israel. And I really think it's a picture of our sanctification process. And so the children of Joseph, Manassas and Ephraim, those two villages now, or those two people groups that had grown, they come to Joshua and they said, hey, you gave us our land, but a lot of it is hill country. And so there's just not enough land for us because of the hill country. You know what Joshua looks at them and does? He goes, Look, you're a big number of people. Go cut the trees down in the hill country and get to work and take your piece of land. And as I read that, I was like, yeah, you know, that's kind of how it is with sanctification. Like, we, we, as we're growing and we're overcoming anger, and sometimes it's like we don't want to do the hard work of sanctification. We just like to continue to live in the old life. And sometimes we need somebody to kind of kick us in the tail, like Joshua would say, yeah, you got plenty there. Get to work, right? And guess what? The Holy Spirit as Christians now lives inside of us. Let her be here. And so now we're able, the Apostle Paul says, to put off. We can get rid of the old life. Ephesians 4.3 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you along with malice. In other words, a believer understands the high cost of their redemption and they know that the Holy Spirit is living inside of them. And so now they are free from the dominion of sin, but they are not free from the influence of sin. And so we have to, with hard work, with the power of the Holy Spirit, put off the old way of life. 
And that's where community, that's where being a regular attender in Sunday morning churches, we're serving. All of this is a part of the battle we are now freed up because of the power of the Holy Spirit to do to overcome our sin nature. And we're now free to fight. And by the way, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a believer. The gospel is the very first step where you have to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Otherwise, you're never going to overcome anger because it's going to have dominion in your life. And when Christ comes in, he deposits the Holy Spirit and now frees you up to fight and do the hard work and overcome. And so Paul says, let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. By the way, you know what clamor is? When I looked up clamor, it, it, it's speaking loudly so that everyone knows your grievance. And I was like, that's me. I do that. I do that at home. When I'm upset, I make sure, you know, even the rabbit living under the shed out back knows about it, right? I can do that. And uh, <clears throat> I watched my dog chase that rabbit this morning. Anyway, so <clears throat> side note. Yeah, and so we do that, right? And we should be growing in these, in these areas and not consumed by the tongue, and by the, which the tongue is the overflow of anger. When you perceive that there's an injustice in your life, you need to ask yourself, how does the gospel of Jesus speak to that? Well, how does it speak to it? It speaks to it that we're reminded that forgiveness is the reminder that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It remind, we're reminded that the gospel is true. We remind ourselves of the gospel. Ephesians 4.32, what does Paul finish this section with? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ did what, church? Forgave you. Why is it that we can forgive others? Because we've been forgiven. If, I would suggest to you the Bible teaches if we, are, if we can't forgive somebody, maybe we haven't really contemplated how much God in Christ has forgiven us. We just sang about it, right? What can wash away my sin? What is it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Like, if we can't forgive, it's because we've forgotten how much God gave us to be forgiven. I, I heard a quote the other day. said, a good marriage is a union of two forgivers. I really like that. I would have suggested you a good church is a community of good forgivers. And we understand, man, the gospel has forgiven us, and so I don't have to hold on to anger. I have been forgiven much. God is going to take care of justice, and what I can do is be helpful and kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. And forgiveness means, it means that, hey, I'm going to turn justice over to God. He's going to take care of justice in his timing. I want to finish with this. We'll close with prayer this morning. I'm so glad you're here. I read a story, actually listened to a story uh, on a podcast, a sermon my wife sent me the other day. Um, story is of Adolf Kors III. Adolf Kors III was the heir to the fortune of Kors Brewing Company. And on February the 9th, 1960, Adolf Kors III was kidnapped and killed on his way to work. And his remains were thrown in the woods. And it took months to find them. Well, you can imagine to Adolf Kors III's teenage son named Adolf Kors IV, um, this, was, this was traumatic. And so Adolf Kors IV, he, he took years trying to fill the void of anger in his heart. 
and he tried success and money, and he tried women, and he tried various drugs and certainly alcohol. And no matter how much he dumped things or pursued success, dumped things into his body or pursued success or pursued the worldly things that he thought would bring him peace, man, at no point could he run away from the anger inside of him. It was the rebar in his own head. Man, I just keep injuring himself as he let anger consume him. Finally, Adolf Kors IV became a Christian, but even as a Christian, he continued to wrestle with this hole in his heart about his father's murder, his father's murderer, and his father's death until 1979. And 1979 is through a lot of teaching and understanding the Word of God and letting the Word of God sink into his heart and mind. Adolf Kors IV drove to the prison where his father's murderer, a guy by the name of Joseph Corbett, was kept. And he walked into that prison, and he stood face to face with his father's kidnapper and his father's murderer. And he looked at him, and he said, I forgive you. And then he preached the gospel to Joseph Corbett. How does that happen? That only happens when you discover how much you have been forgiven. It's only when you feast on Christ. You really contemplate what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done for us. We worship and serve a God who gave, a God who sacrificed, a God who forgave. And once one has been forgiven much, guess what a person can do? They can freely forgive, absolutely. So let's be a people of forgivers. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the reminder. Help us to not be consumed by anger, God. Let us be a people that feasts on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We remember, man, that our forgiveness came at a high cost to you, O oh God. And so because of that, we can be a community of forgivers. We give you thanksgiving and we give you praise for the gospel. Help us to be a people that submit when we're angry. Help us to submit that to the gospel of Jesus, to be committed to the gospel of Jesus, and in turn be a people of kindness, generosity, and forgiveness. And we thank you for that hope that we have. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, it's been great being with you this morning. Let's go out singing this morning and worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand.